We've been making our way through 1 Peter this year, and today we come to the last chapter of this book. Uh, so far, Peter has been emphasizing that we are exiles. We are, we are a people living in a home that is ultimately not our final home. We will experience suffering in the here and now, as we have talked about, but it will be worth it because we have been adopted as God's people. We have an eternal inheritance, a future glorification that we are looking forward to. That is what we have our confidence in. That is what we have our hope in. Peter has gone into detail on how we should be living our lives here on earth, submitting to authority and living peaceably with one another. He has, for the majority of the letter, and and certainly in the last section that Pastor Richard preached through, he was addressing how we as the church interact with the outside world. We, We will be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Now then, he turns his focus inward. He, he uh, addresses how we interact with one another. Uh, today, we come to a particular, particularly timely portion of this letter for us as Crossway. Uh, for the next few verses, Peter is exhorting the elders in the congregation toward uh, faithfulness. He's encouraging them toward faithfulness in their position. Um, and he not only addresses the elders, but he addresses the congregation and then how the two should relate to one another. Um, God, in his wisdom and in his grace, has given the church servant leaders to shepherd his people and has called the church to humbly submit to God-given authority. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you you who are younger, be subject, subject to the elders." Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the holy, inerrant word of God. Here we see Peter exhorting the elders of the church, and the first thing that we see him encouraging them to do is to shepherd God's people. He's telling them to shepherd God's people. A veteran shepherd is speaking here. That was the first words in F.B. Meyer's commentary on 1 Peter 5. He is saying, maybe in a a more Southern Baptist way, listen up, y'all, we are talking to a guy who's done this before. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, Peter says, I exhort you, uh, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So, so Peter here is not appealing to his apostolic authority, though certainly he could, right? Peter is an apostle. And we've seen Paul do that in passages before where he starts out by saying, I am an apostle, here is why. So what I'm saying right now has great bearing, great weight on what I'm going to tell you. Peter doesn't do that. Peter rather appeals, uh, even though he could appeal to his apostleship, he appeals as a fellow elder to fellow leaders in the church. He is going to exhort them to faithful service in the Lord 
And he's doing it from a similar platform to theirs. He has been going through the trials. He has witnessed the sufferings of Christ firsthand, and he is a fellow partaker in future glorification. The first verse is critical as it sets up the rest of Peter's argument here. Uh, We not only see uh, him appealing to them from a place of shared authority, but also we see the simplicity of the structure of the early church here. We see... uh, him writing to dispersed churches, right? So we saw in the first chapter, he's writing to these dispersed churches and he is addressing the elders among you. They, they are pastors that are responsible for these local congregations. Uh, y- y- yes, they're all part of the capital C church, the big church, the church uh, of God, but there are local bodies of believers and they are led by elders. They are led by pastors, we learn uh, from here and from other places that it's a plurality of elders. It's, it's more than one pastor at a church. So, uh, t- so Peter's not setting up uh, like a papal hierarchy here, as, as the Catholic Church would teach. He's not saying, okay, I am uh, going to be ruling over all of you, and then you're going to be uh, taking direction from me. He is not even setting up a, a, a presbytery, as some of our Reformed uh, brothers would would have done. Rather, he is he is reiterating the simplistic structure of the early church. So there is local autonomous churches, and he is appealing to these pastors from a place of similar authority. He's addressing the elders, and and he goes on in the rest of the passage to describe them uh, by what might seem like to us today as. Uh, a comfortable metaphor, as, as, as a familiar metaphor. Um, he calls them shepherds. Now, certainly this is, this is not the first time in the Bible that we see this used, right? So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? David uh, calls God, uh, David calls God him, himself his shepherd, saying that he leads him, he feeds him, he protects him. Then in Second Samuel, Samuel 5.2, God tells David uh, himself, he says, you will, be, you will shepherd my people. So uh, not only does David recognize his place in the flock of God, where God is his good shepherd, but he also is called out to shepherd God's people, to be an under-shepherd underneath uh, the good shepherd. Um, then in, in the New Testament, we see this uh, at the end of John 21. Uh, Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep, to shepherd his people. This is uh, then no surprise when Peter, in his letter, is addressing fellow elders, telling them the same thing. He's telling uh, them they are to be an under-shepherd of the good shepherd. They are uh, getting a job description from Peter here, and it is shepherding God's people. So in verses 2 through 4, we see Peter break this down into three parts. First, he describes the mission of the shepherd. He describes the mission of the shepherd. Peter tells the elders of the church to, quote, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. He goes on to tell them what type of attitude this should be done with, but, but first, we need to camp out here for a minute and understand what he's telling them to do as a shepherd. Uh, What exactly is their job description? What should they be doing? 
Uh, Timothy Whitmer outlines um, the job description of a shepherd in his excellent uh, short book called The Shepherd, the shepherd Leader. Um, and in this book, he uses this text and, and some other texts to break down the job of a shepherd. Um, but basically, he divides it into four parts. And we see those in this verse. He says, we are to know the sheep, we are to feed the sheep, we are to lead the sheep, and we are to protect the sheep. So first, know the sheep. We see, we see that right here in verse 2. They are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The shepherd is to be among us, to be with us, to know us, to know the people of the church. So on a big scale, on a, on a, on a grand scale, this means that he is supposed to know who is and who is not a member of the church. Who is he responsible for? Who is Peter telling him that he needs to be responsible to God for? This is one of the reasons why we stress membership here at Crossway. Uh, the Bible has specific commands in, uh, for pastors in regards to the church, um, but these apply to the local body of believers. So we, uh, so we willfully join the church, and, uh, and this is how we are oriented then in Scripture. The, the, the shepherd, the pastor is responsible for leading and teaching those in his care. On a similar scale, the shep- uh, on a smaller scale, the shepherd is called to know the members personally. So he is called to be among us, to be involved in our lives, to be uh, uh, involved in a way that he is encouraging us and rebuking us and correcting us and teaching us. He is to be caring for the church corporately overall, but he's also supposed to be caring for us individually and personally. The shepherd is to know the sheep. Secondly, a shepherd is to feed the sheep. Some, some translations here actually read, feed the flock of God which is among you. The idea here, as well as the descriptions in 1 Timothy and Titus, is that a pastor is required to spiritually nourish the church. So this, of course, is referring to the life-dispensing words that we see in Scripture, right? This is like one of the, this is the, one of the main charges that we give a pastor at a church. He is, on a big scale, to be preaching and teaching the Word. He is supposed to be up here opening the Bible, reading what it says, and explaining it to the people. We see um, this is one of his main callings, and that's one of the reasons we place a big emphasis on the pulpit ministry here at Crossway. But um, this is, and, and that's why this is one of the main things that our pastoral search team is emphasizing. We want somebody who is going to preach expositorily through the word. So uh, self-help talks can be cute or some even have some minimal helpful value. But over the long haul, we want somebody who's opening up the Bible saying this is the word of God. This is what God says. This is why it matters to your life. This is what God tells us to do. This is what God's done for us. And this is what we are to do in response. We are seeking to have someone here who is going to help us grow in Christ through the word. That is why we preach expository sermons. That's why we look to the word, have that shape our message, and then have that shape our lives. On a smaller scale, feeding the sheep uh, is, is done through personal discipleship, through mentoring and equipping people. Our, our shepherd should be not just up in a pulpit preaching, but also among us, teaching us the word. We need this book. We need to understand what God has done for us. And we need to understand what God wants us to do in response. We need to feed the sheep. 
The third thing we see here is the shepherd is called to lead the sheep. The elders are to be the spiritual leaders of the congregation. So just as a shepherd would lead someone, uh, lead the sheep to water or to food or to safety, uh, where they could rest, the under-shepherd of God's people is supposed to take the leadership role in guiding and directing the church. So on a big scale, this would be uh, something that includes uh, setting the direction for various ministries or, or selecting educational materials for classes or making difficult decisions uh, based on relevant information and the Spirit's leading. Uh, on a smaller scale, the pastor could be leading the sheep by example. So in detailing out the pastor, pastoral qualifications in Timothy, 1 Timothy and Titus, Paul goes to great lengths to stress the importance of character in the pastor's life. Though imperfect, he should be pursuing holiness. He should be characterized as a life that is pursuing holiness, living a pure life and a godly life. This then sets the tone for the rest of the church. The bar is high. Uh, the shepherd should be the one that's leading the way in this. And, and finally, we see here that the shepherd is supposed to protect the sheep. Peter says he is to be exercising oversight. Now, this could mean a couple of different things. So first, he should be publicly warning and protecting the church against false teachers. We see this all over the New Testament. This should include calling out false doctrine that may be seeping into the church, as well as calling out false teachers uh, by name if necessary. Uh, Peter goes into much further detail on this in his second letter. In chapter 2, he says, But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False teachers need to be called out and confronted so the church is not deceived and dragged into the gutter. This is part of what it means to exercise oversight on a more, on a more personal scale. Um, this also uh, includes things like church discipline. Following the guidelines in Matthew 18, the elders are to hold members accountable so sin doesn't creep into the congregation. Uh, I can remember as a kid seeing... Uh, adultery confronted in our local church and it was painful and it was difficult and it was hard and it was necessary um this should be done pastorally this should be done with an eye toward reconciliation but the holiness of god's church is critical this is this is not a a trivial matter public sin brings scorn upon the church and it must be dealt with pastors are to exercise oversight even when it's uncomfortable. Peter tells us the pastor's job description is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. This requires him to know the sheep, to feed the sheep, to lead the sheep, and to protect the sheep. Peter goes on to tell us then that this is to be done, what type of attitude that this should all be done with. He details uh, the mindset of a shepherd. The mindset of a shepherd says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, 
but being examples to the flock. We see uh, three things here, three ways that an elder or a pastor should be serving his church. He should be serving willingly, he should be serving eagerly, and he should be serving uh, what I'm going to say is pastorally. And, uh, and I'm not talking in circles. We'll, uh, we'll unpack that in a minute. First, he's, first he's to serve willingly. Uh, and by way of contrast, he says, Peter says that he is not to serve begrudgingly. Right? So in my mind, when he says this, I'm immediately drawn to think of my own personal uh, work experience. And, and I bet, I'm willing to bet this is the same for some of you uh, in the past or maybe even the present. We all know what it's like to slug through a job that we hate, right? We know what it's like to go to work, to not want to be there, to have to be there for whatever reason. So, so maybe it's because you need the money and that's all that's available. Or maybe circumstances have changed from the time that you hired in to now. Or, or maybe you've just changed your mind and you don't like this anymore. Um, I remember working at McDonald's uh, for a couple of years uh, early on and it was a grind. The, the managers were good. The, uh, the place was pretty flexible with my schedule, which is probably why I stayed there, but, but the work itself uh, was a grind. And especially when they would put me in the grill area, it would take me like three or four showers until I'd feel like the grease is off me. <laughs> so if you've ever worked in the grill area, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I did not enjoy what I was doing. I dreaded going into work. Um, I did what I was told but I did not do this willingly. I did this begrudgingly. I did it under compulsion. Not exactly employee of the year material. (laughs) So despite what the slogan says, I I was not loving it. Uh, Peter knows that this can be the tendency of our hearts, right? He knows that this can be the place that we go, especially in a job where we're going to encounter difficulty. And a pastor is serving in a job that he will encounter difficulty. He has a target on his back. Satan does not want to hear the gospel proclaimed. Satan does not want people who are lost and on their way to hell to hear the life-giving message of Jesus, to hear about how we can be saved from our sin, how we can be made right before a holy God. This is something that he hates and he wants to bring him down. The pastor needs to be serving in a position not under compulsion as if someone is forcing him to do something that he hates. He needs to be serving willingly unto the Lord. Peter is exhorting him to this. Second, he needs to be serving eagerly. And by way of contrast, Peter says, not greedily, not for selfish gain. This is not a position someone should go into for personal selfish reasons, although there can be Uh, There can be temptations to that. Here, Peter specifically calls out monetary greed. And we see that in the worst cases in the the quote-unquote church in America, right? So we see see the prosperity gospel preacher tweeting out pictures from his private jet, or we see uh, the the pastor in North Carolina buying a $1.7 million home, uh, meanwhile putting heretical teaching out on YouTube. This is something that we struggle with in America. We see people in this position doing it for selfish gain. Peter is warning here against this type of mindset. The elders are to be working for the Lord, not for selfish gain. 
Tom Schreiner helpfully summarizes this when he says, the leaders of God's flock do not serve because they have to, as if it were simply another job, nor do they serve to skim uh, off money for themselves. God's servant is to serve eagerly unto the Lord. Finally, in this verse, Peter says, they are to serve pastorally. That is, they are to serve by setting an example for the church and not domineering over the membership of the church. The job of God's under-shepherd for his people is not designed so he can set up a little kingdom for himself and make demands over people. Rather, like Jesus, he is to be a servant leader. In 1 Timothy, Paul says that he is to be not violent, but gentle. He is to be not quarrelsome. He cannot be the, the likes-to-fight guy. He can't be the guy who relishes getting in someone's face and exerting his authority. That characteristic should not be something we see in our elders. We are not looking to call the guy who has the scowl on his face and is ready to bully someone to get his way, ready to exert his power in a domineering fashion. Rather, the shepherd, the shepherd should be called to relate to the sheep pastorally. He should be approachable. He should be someone that you know cares about the eternal state of your soul, not the state of his little kingdom. God, God has designed the church to be led by elders who shepherd the people of God, knowing them, feeding them, leading them, protect, protecting them. And they are, they are to do all of this willingly and eagerly and pastorally. This is, this is critical for Crossway to think through as we think about calling a new pastor to come serve with us. Uh, we have talked a lot about the qualifications over, of an elder over the last few months. We've done a Sunday school series on that. We have uh, prayed about that. We are uh, actively looking and we are talking through these things. God has set high character standards for a pastor and God has, has required that they have the ability to teach. But here Peter is getting into the job description that will guide and direct him while he is here. And, and, and it's not only for him, but it's for Pastor Richard and myself and anyone else who would assume this role. This is direction for the elders of the church. And uh, this is sobering to me as I studied through this this week. As a church, these are the standards that God has called us to uphold when it comes to our leaders. While Peter is describing the work of a faithful elder, if we flip back to the Old Testament, we see God pronouncing judgment on the leaders of Israel who have failed in this similar charge. Because of their failure, Ezekiel prophesies against them. In chapter 34, the Lord has condemning words. He says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Do not uh, you eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, and they became, they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. 
As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and they have not fed the sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. I am against the shepherds. This is a bone-chilling statement. Rather than feeding the sheep, they were feeding themselves. Rather than protecting the sheep, they were letting them go astray and uh, come to ruin, become prey. God himself steps in here as the good shepherd casting off the unfaithful shepherds who have failed him. This is alarming and this is sobering. This should not be something that is said of us. This, as a congregation, is something we should pay attention to, uh, and not just the shepherds, but all of us, as we seek to encourage and build one another up. Peter has laid out the mission of the shepherd. He's laid out the mindset of the shepherd. And in verse 4, we see the motivation of the shepherd the motivation of the shepherd. <clears throat> he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here God pulls back the curtain a little bit, and uh, his purpose really comes into focus. God has set up his church to be led by elders or pastors who are shepherding his people faithfully. But their authority does not come from them being naturally good leaders or the most well-liked person in the congregation. They are serving the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. They are serving Jesus Christ, our shepherd and our savior. Jesus is the one who knows us intimately. He created us. Jesus is the one who feeds us. He has given us his word. Jesus is the one who leads us. He has given us his spirit by which we can uh, have intimate fellowship with him and draws us to himself. And, and Jesus is the one who protects us. It is this Jesus who laid down his life as a payment for sin. He laid it down as a payment for your sin in order to, to bring you to God, bring you to safety. He did not do this begrudgingly or for selfish gain but he did this sacrificially. Jesus Christ has shown himself to be the true and better shepherd. The only one that can, we can rely on in this life and the next it is in this shepherd that we place all of our hope. He is our solid rock that we lean on. He is the, the mighty fortress that we, want, that we run to. He is our shepherd, and we shall not be in want. The chief shepherd, then, is ultimately who we answer to. And this includes those whom he has entrusted his ministry to, the elders, the under-shepherds underneath him. We saw how the wicked shepherds were dealt with in Ezekiel, but here we see reward bestowed on faithful shepherds. There is an unfading crown of glory in eternity to be spent with the Savior of our souls. This should be motivation for the elder, not selfish gain, not greed, not power, not domination. Rather, it should be because he knows Christ. He follows him as king and desires to serve him 
as Lord. This is the motivation that should characterize our pastor. People will let him down, and the, the ministry can often become discouraging, but there is future glorification with Christ that cannot be taken away. Speaking to this passage, John Calvin was uh, especially encouraging this week. Uh, he said, regarding verse 4, except pastors retain this end in view, it can by no means be that they will in good earnest, that by no means be that they will in good earnest, pro, earnestness proceed in the course of their calling, but will, on the contrary, become often faint. For there are innumerable hindrances which are sufficient to discourage the most prudent. They have often to do with ungrateful men from whom they receive an unworthy award. Long and great labors are often in vain. Satan sometimes prevails in his wicked devices. Lest then the faithful servant of Christ should be broken down, there is for him one and only one remedy. Turn his eyes to the coming of Christ. Verse 4 is an encouragement to those who would seek to serve and lead in an often thankless job. It is Christ we serve, it is Christ we desire, and it is Christ we run to. God is faithful. As a congregation, this applies to us as well. We do not begrudgingly get involved in ministry out of mere duty. And we don't quit when our feelings get hurt or when things get hard. Rather, we focus on Jesus and our future with him. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And he is our chief shepherd who loved us first. This is our motivation. We run to Christ. We've seen Peter lay out a job description of sorts so far in this passage. He described what a shepherd is to do, how he is to go about doing it, and what his motivation should be. Now he switches gears a little bit. So God, in his wisdom and in his grace, has given the church servant leaders to shepherd his people, and he has called the church to humbly submit to God's authority. To submit to God's authority. It says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we've seen in the first four verses what uh, standards the elders are held to. And we see here in verse 5 how the congregation then is to respond. We see first that we are to submit to the elders. We are to submit to the elders. There is a, a bit of controversy here in the, um, a bit of discrepancy, I guess I would say, in the interpretation of this passage. Um, some scholars interpret this to mean younger people submit to older people, while others hold that Peter is addressing the whole congregation, saying, submit to your pastors. Um, I think there is solid, uh, there's a solid biblical principle um, in view uh, a solid biblical principle that supports the first view, that, that is, younger people submit to older people. Uh, namely, we are to respect and to honor those who are older and more mature than ourselves. And, and, and this is true, and I'm not disputing that truth at all. There, there may even be a hint of that in this passage. However, I, I don't think that's what Peter is addressing here in verse 5. He starts by saying, likewise. So this is a key connection word in this passage. Um, he has just finished detailing the responsibilities for the elders, and now he is turning his exhortation to a different audience. In this context, he is distinguishing between the elders and you who are younger, or not elders, the congregation. Um, 
as he does this, he gives them a simple instruction. Be subject to the elders. Uh, submit to the elders. God created the office of pastor for the church, and we are to be subject to them because God has set it up that way. So this, this is not the first time that we've seen Peter address submission, right? We, we've talked about it a few months ago where he was talking about our submission as citizens to our government and then talking about submission of servants to masters. And then uh, last month we saw he was talking about submission in the marriage relationship, husbands and wives. And now he's talking about elders and church members. This is, this is critical to the function of the church, all right, so what do we mean when we say submission to the elders? Are, are we supposed to buy into everything that they say? Are we uh, supposed to just blindly follow with no checks and balances? Um, how far does their reach extend? Uh, this can be very sticky and muddy water, um, but John's not here, so I'm just going to jump in. <laughs> First of all, this should go without saying, we are to be subject to the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, right? We are to obey the Lord first and foremost. And this is done according to his word. He has revealed himself in his word. And like the Bereans, we should be diligently seeking the scriptures. We should be searching through the scriptures and determining if what they are saying, if what the pastor is saying is lining up with scripture. And if it isn't, somebody has to go. Either he has to go or you've got to leave. It, we are not called to continue to submit to false teachers. Crossway, at Crossway, we are a confessional, elder-led, congregational church. There's a lot here, and just in a, a minute, unpack the three of these things, but they're important. We are confessional. So that is, we are holding uh, to a standard that is a summary of what we believe the Bible principally teaches. The Bible is the final and perfect word of God. The Bible is our final authority, sola scriptura. And our confession details out exactly what we think, what we say that Bible teaches. So the confession is not perfect, but the confession is the standard uh, by which we, um, the, the confession uh, points to the standard and uh, is our interpretation of that standard. Confessions are not the word of God, but they're critical in counteracting uh, heresy, when someone tries to twist the Word of God uh, to, to try and change or to try and uh, make the Word of God say something it doesn't say. For us, the confession is the Baptist faith and message 2000. We are elder-led, meaning that we believe that, as we've discussed here and we see in other parts of Scripture, that the Bible calls for a plurality of pastors or elders, uh, equal in, in authority, and these uh, men are called to shepherd the church. And then we are congregational. We are a local assembly of believers. And as God's people, we hold our pastors to the doctrinal standards as we find them in Scripture. This is unbending. All right, so secondly, uh, so, so first, we hold to Scripture, right? Secondly, uh, uh, what does submission then mean to elders? And this has some similarities to what we studied uh, back in chapter 3 when we looked at the relationship between husbands and wives. There we saw not a domineering relationship, but we saw one where a selfless leader and a, uh, ser serves a, a humble and supportive counterpart. What we said in the context of marriage was that submission is a predisposition of the heart to follow and affirm her husband's leadership with a gentle spirit as a response to her love for God. 
Likewise, in the church, we should be seeing in ourselves a predisposition of the heart to follow the lead of the elders, not in a begrudging manner, but with a humble Christ-like attitude. If we follow this as a church, this has huge positive impacts, huge positive ramifications for us. We are going through a transition time right now. Pretty soon, there is going to be another man in this pulpit. He will think differently. He will do things differently. He will say things differently. He will say things differently. He may or may not repeat his main points. I don't know. Certainly, we will not be calling a clone, right? We're not going to be calling somebody that's exactly the same. And, and that's okay. God has something in store for this church. And we pray that it results in continued faithfulness here and gospel growth in our city. As we prepare for this change, we should enter this change uh, with a humble heart. Rather than going into this transition with a, a curmudgeonly attitude, nitpicking differences and pushing our preferences, we should be entering into this with humility. We are, uh, are we going to gossip? Are we going to talk bad uh, behind our elders' back? Or are we going to follow Peter's lead and practice humility? As God's people, we should be setting ourselves up with a heart attitude that is predispositioned to submit to his lead. This honors God as he has set the structure of his church and has placed elders in the position, position of shepherds. But this doesn't stop there. We see this principle carried even further in verse 5 as we are called to submit to one another. We are, we are called to submit to one another. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here we see the biblical principle of humility expressed generally over the congregation. Like James, he references Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As his people, this should characterize us. This should characterize the interaction that we have with our elders, this character, the interact, characterize the interaction we have with each other, and even just our general disposition. Pride has no place in his church. And we are good and we are right to fight against this sin. Again, Tom Schreiner was very helpful at this point. He says, Smooth relations in the church can be preserved if the entire congregation adorns itself with humility. When believers recognize that they are creatures and sinners, they are less apt to be offended by others. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. This should be a natural outflow of our sanctification, our humility toward one another, our predisposition of humility and submission toward our elders and toward one another. Our love for one another should be evident to the outside watching world. And one of the primary ways they see this is our humility toward one another. Crossway is in a transition period. We, we've, we've talked a lot about it today. We've talked a lot about it over the last eight months. We have said these are the qualifications that we have. These are the expectations that we have. And these are based on scripture. The pastoral search team has been working behind the scenes as we prepare to bring in someone new. It has our, been our heart's desire to do this according to God's word. We have emphasized character. We've emphasized preaching of the word. And we see in 1 Peter 5 a description of what that elder should look like. We are praying that God leads us in this direction. 
Beyond that, as a congregation, we have the responsibility to ready our hearts and minds to joyfully receive what God has for us. God in his wisdom and grace has given the church servant leaders to shepherd his people, and he has called the church to humbly submit to God-given authority. I'd like to close with uh, Psalm 100. There it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your church. We thank you for your son who has come to redeem us from our sin, from our punishment. We thank you for the leaders that you have provided in our lives to teach us your word, to show us your way. Lord, I pray that we uh, have wisdom as we seek out someone new to come in and take on the primary role of preaching and teaching. I pray that you give us humble hearts, willing attitudes as we encounter this new phase. In Jesus' name we pray.